So, we are starting a new series, and I need to give you some background on it. We are going into the book of Judges. Judges. Wow. Judges. Like Judge Judy. Yes. You are a judge. Or the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Joshua, Judges. Okay. So, let me start you with this. A long, long time ago, Israel, you have to pay attention to this, all right? We're going to go with the map. You know the map. Do you know the map? Yes. This is the Red Sea, and it is important for us today. All right, so this is the Nile River. This, that's the Red Sea. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. This is Galilee, okay? And this is what we're going to call the wilderness. Okay, beyond that, because it was... Maybe not necessarily all desert, but it was the wilds where there were not a lot of people living, and there were a lot of uh, people that tended to move through that area. They were nomadic people, okay, and they were a lot of them with flocks and things. But we're going to start with back in the Nile in Egypt, okay. The Israelites were in slavery here. Does anybody remember for how long? 400 years. Okay? Over 400 years. And think about that. If you were born and died in that 400 years, it's all you ever saw. Slavery in Egypt. And so did your father and grandfather. And so did your children. Okay? So, gives you a little perspective on it. From there, Moses takes them, leads them, because God says, I want you to take the, the children of Israel out, and I want you to free them. So he frees them from Pharaoh after the whole ten plagues thing and everything. Frees them from Pharaoh, takes them up, and takes them to the edge of the Red Sea. And, of course, the famous Red Sea, he splits the Red Sea because God, they appear like the, the Egyptian army is coming after them right here, and it appears like they have no way out. But God is teaching them. You know, why didn't they go north? Because God is teaching them, right? All the way along, God is saying, I can help you. I freed you from the most powerful uh, force on earth. The Egyptian army and the Egyptians were a very wealthy, very powerful at the time that they were enslaved, that the Israelites were enslaved. So they crossed the Red Sea. They head up to what God has said. Abraham was promised a land for all of his descendants. So this is called the promised land. Okay, And the promised land is this, essentially this whole section. It actually comes down close to, right to the edge of Egypt. Heads right up here. This is not drawn to scale. It's not a huge property. But they go to the edge of the promised land. And this is where Joshua and Caleb first show up. Okay, Moses is the leader, his brother Aaron is the high priest, and his sister Miriam also uh, is a leader amongst the women. Up 
they go and they send in 12 spies. These are hopefully familiar stories to you. The 12 spies go in and say, oh, there's giants all over the place. It's a scary land. They're going to think we're grasshoppers. We're going to go in and go, they're going to squish us. Now, this was only days from when God split the Red Sea in half and they walked across on dry ground. So, don't you think God could help them with people if he's already delivered them from the most powerful army on earth? But there's a problem here. The problem becomes trusting God. So ten spies come back out and say, we can't do it. Two spies come out and say, absolutely, let's go take it. You should see the, the, the food, the grapes. The, they said they carried out a bunch of grapes that was so big that they had to have two people carry it between them on a pole. And then one bunch of grapes, so big. So it must have been hundreds of pounds of grapes. That's a lot of grapes, right? But the point was, all of this promised land was filled with really amazing things. And God says, I will give it to you. Just go on and take it. And they came back and said, can't do it. So God says, okay, if you don't believe, then I will take you out into the wilderness. And so that entire generation for 40 years essentially wandered and wandered around for 40 years until all of that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, which were the two spies that believed, the entire generation passes away. The young new generation, and you will find these generations are important in this, the new generation now under the leader of Joshua, Moses gets to see the promised land from the mountains on the side, never gets to set foot in it because he had an anger issue, essentially. And so God says, I will let you see it, but you are not going to get to lead the people into the promised land. So, Joshua leads the people into the promised land. Okay, This is a new generation. The young ones that were the children of the spies who did not believe. Okay. In they go, and with faith and growth, they take the city, the famous city of Jericho, right? They cross the Jordan River, and it splits open. The whole group of people. And there is an estimation that a, there's around 2 million people in this group at this point. Okay, It's a lot of people to cross a river. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd of 1,000, but... It takes a long time to do anything. So after 40 years, here they are. They go and they take Jericho. They go and they're defeated at AI, but they learn to trust God a little more. And they start to take over, under Joshua's leadership, they take over the majority of all of this area. The problem comes is that they don't quite take it all over. They leave little pockets throughout the whole area of people. Little pockets here and there and everywhere, okay? Little groups of people, there's a little valley. Didn't quite take it all over. They took all the area around them, but just didn't quite take it over. 
So here it is. Joshua is nearing the end of his life as the book of Judges comes up. Joshua is mentioned a few times. And actually it begins where it talks about Joshua's death. But he's not quite dead yet when, ju when Judges is written. Okay? Or at least when the story is written. So here it is. Israel is left. They have settled throughout this area. But there are neighboring tribes that they were supposed to push out of the land or get rid of totally one way or another. That was God's message to them. Wipe them out. Take them out of there. They are not to be living next to you. All right. So this is where we pick up the book of Judges. They have seen generations of miracles, even while they were in the wilderness. Even during the seven-year stretch when Joshua took over, okay, and defeated Jericho, and they took through this whole land and did so many amazing things. They fought giants, literal giants, okay? But they didn't quite get them all. There were sons of a man named Anak. Anak were, uh, they called them the Anakim, okay, which is essentially the sons of Anak. And Anak was a person who it describes as having special genes, essentially in the Bible, where these guys are monstrously large. Most of them, we figure, were between 8 and 12 feet tall. Okay, and there are bones and things that people have found. All right, but tall people, even if you're six something and you walk up to an eight foot tall person, it's big. Now, if you're talking Goliath, he was a famous son of Anakim. He was nine foot nine. Okay, that's a big guy. All right, and with that height comes a lot of girth and big, he's a big, scary guy. All right, so with all of that said, here they are. We're going to start the book of Judges, and we're going to start right at the first verse. We're going to go around for verses 1 through 7, okay? Go ahead, please. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites? first to fight against them. Okay, so the Canaanites are the name of the people in general uh, in the land that's used for the, the existing tribes. There are some smaller tribes with more specific names we'll find, but Canaanites is used in general. Go ahead, please. Verse 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto uh, Simeon, his brother, Come up with me unto my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. And Judah went up, and Jehovah delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they smote of them and besieged ten thousand men. And they found Adoni Bezek. Excellent. <laughs> Go ahead. In Bezek. And they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adoni Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adoni Bezek said, We score 
Okay, here is a mean dude, Adoni Bezik, okay? He is the king of one of these small groups. Judah, right? Judah goes up with, his, with the other tribes. So there are 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Judah is one of the tribes, the largest tribe, okay? It is where Jesus comes from eventually. Uh, Simeon is another smaller tribe. They go together. Jesus, or they ask God who should go up. We want Judah to go up and fight these people. So Judah goes up, Simeon joins them, and they go and they fight, and they win. And they get the king, Adoni Bezek. Okay? Adoni Bezek is a mean dude. And here is why. When they catch him, you say, that's terrible. They cut his thumbs and big toes off. What happens when they cut your toes off, your big toes? You lose your balance. What? You lose your balance. You can't walk. Yeah. In fact, they say if you cut your little toe off, you can't walk either. Any of your toes. You take them off, you will lose your balance. So, taking your big toe off, there's a lot that your big toe does. It's just offsetting. Well, <laughs> if you cut both off, it's offsetting. I think you yeah, but as you walk, you don't walk with two feet. You walk with one and you use your toe. I'm telling you, you would have a long time, very hard time doing it. So, here's the thing also cut your thumb off, and how do you grab things? Right? You can. You learn how to do something. So, here's what Adonai Bezek did he took 70 of the local small tribal kings. 70 of them. He defeated them. He cut their, tum their, their thumbs and big toes off. And he made them grovel at his table, gathering scraps for the rest of their lives. They were, they were to crawl on their hands and knees and gather the scraps from his table to survive. And why did he do it? Because he's mean. This was just to degrade them. I defeated you. Now you crawl under my table and whatever I drop, you guys fight for. Okay? So these are the kinds of people that God says, we're done with this. You come in and you take them out. This is one thing of one of the many things that the people of Canaan were used to doing, along with, which you will find much more, offering their own young babies, they would take, have one of their young babies and they would put them, they would heat a furnace up, heat up this thing where it was a very hot furnace and they would put their live baby into it and burn it to death. It's offering sacrifice to one of their gods. They had learned to devalue life. And God eventually said, I've given you enough chances. We need you gone. And so Israel's job was to take them out. So Israel does that. He takes out, they take out Adonai Bezek. They take him and they kill him eventually. It says, but he said, this is what I get because I did this to 70 kings. 
All right? So he knew he had done wrong, but he just didn't really care until he was caught. <coughs> All right? So this is the type of people, as you start to see what happens, the Adonai Bezex of the world. Uh, verse number 11 through 13, we're going to meet a new character. All of these things are going to weave together, and we're going to find this new character uh, is going to be important next week. Verse 11, 12, and 13, please. There you go. Kirjas Sefer. Whatever. It works. And Caleb said, Caleb said that, Caleb said he, that smiteth, smiteth, or kills. Smiteth. Kirjas Sefer. Kirjas Sefer. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Just keep going. We get it. We can all read the name. And I've been to him. Well, I get Okay. We know Caleb. What did Caleb do? He was one of those original spies that had faith. His daughter. All right. And Caleb's younger brother, actually, uh, Othniel, okay, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So he has a brother named Kenaz, and Othniel is his nephew, essentially, okay? He, he, Othniel, ends up going and fighting single-handedly this group of people. Okay, this Kyrgyz Sether guy and his whole clan, and he wins for the for marriage to uh, Aksa. Wait, so he's related to Caleb, mm -hmm. and he marries his daughter mm -hmm. within their tribes. <laughs> they do it lots. They do it lots. Married his cousin. It happens It happens a lot. A lot. Okay? So, Othniel is an important character next week. So remember that. He was a man of faith. We'll talk about him next week. All right, verse number 19. So here they are. They're defeating, right? So they're doing good. So it must be that God is with them. Verse number 19. Where have we left off? Okay, so here they are. The three sons of Anak get destroyed, and the people in the mountains get destroyed by Judah, but they can't get the people in the valley because they have iron chariots. So let me ask you one question. 
why can't they beat the Iron Chariots? They don't have Iron Chariots? They're scared. Why can't they beat their... <laughs> they have beaten giants. <laughs> but what's different? They See, there's something not chariots. said there. Something Flesh, iron. Something Secrets. They do something. <gasps> Maybe their arrows will bounce off I the iron. I don't know what happens. You don't know what happens. <laughs> Correct. They did something, <laughs> something bad. Because don't you think if God can make the walls of Jericho go whoosh, stone walls, you can't beat the guy standing on a metal chariot? I mean, I get it. He's mean and he's nasty. But there were times, let me give you, there were times where God defeated iron chariots with mud and nobody ever even did anything. They just ran those iron chariots out of the mud and, went, and they were done. So they're not, they're not unbeatable, but something else is going wrong. And yes, you're right. They did something bad, right? How do we know it? Well, because God is not with them in all of this. They defeat these people, but just not the iron people. All right? Now, let me read a couple verses, and you're going to start, hopefully, to weave this together. Verse 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Verse 27. Neither did Manasseh, one of the other tribes, drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and her towns, nor Tanik and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibleam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. What is tribute? Taxes, right? They said, wait a minute, we're going to keep them here. I got a better idea, God. I'm going to keep these guys here and we're going to charge them taxes. Isn't that great? That means they're serving us and that's just kind of how that's it's a great plan. It's a better plan than you had. God, you want us to get rid of them? We're going to keep them here because we're strong and they're scared of us and we're going to make them pay taxes. Won't that be better? Won't that build our country up with money and all the things we need? Except that was not God's plan, nor was it what God asked them to do. Verse number 29, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer amongst them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the, the Canaanites dwell among them and became tributaries. Again, they're collecting taxes. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Achenor, and the inhabitants of Zidon, or Alab, nor of Achzab, nor of Hela, and on and on and on the list goes. Each tribe didn't quite finish their job. They were supposed to do it. And in the promised land, go back to the big story, right? They have seen, they have been redeemed taken from slavery, their parents, their parents literally were taken from slavery and didn't have enough faith to go in. 
to the promised land the first time. They wandered for 40 years. They watched the miracles, the fire by night and the cloudy pillar by day. They wandered. They ate manna every day. Bread came out of heaven every day for them to eat for 40 years. God took care of them. They took over Jericho. They split the Red Sea. They split the Jordan. They watched and watched and watched and watched and watched as God did all these things. And they came over and took over the promised land. But they just didn't finish the job. Just not quite. They just left this little piece. And each person just left a little piece. And God says, go take them. Go get rid of them. And Joshua says, Let's get rid of all these. Now, Joshua is still alive. The first verse, it talks about Joshua's death, but he's not going to quite die yet. Okay? It's more of a rounding statement to say he's near death. It's coming, but here's something Joshua said before he died. Whether it's chariots of iron or the tribe of Benjamin actually went into hiding. They went down into the valley to fight this army and they got driven back up into the hills and they just stayed there and they left that army because they lost. So something is happening behind the scenes. Something is happening because now God's people are hiding and they're losing but their whole plan was, yeah, we're going to make them pay taxes. That'll be good. We'll just let those there. They're, they're a little bit scarier to take care of. They'll be fine. We'll live right amongst them. And we'll make sure they stay in line. And that is one of our big things in our life. And here's where you draw the parallel. From the beginning, if you accept the Lord as your Savior, if you ask Him to forgive you, you are taken from the bonds of slavery. Slavery to sin. And you are taken out and God has a plan for you and says, I have a life full of flowing with blessings for you. You just have to have faith and trust that I can get you there. And so many times we say, I don't think we can do it. And so, God takes you into a wilderness of time. And you wander, and you wander. And God blesses you and takes you along. But it was not what God really intended for you in the first place. God had a better plan. But you wouldn't have his plan. Because you wouldn't, couldn't quite believe he could do it. Couldn't quite trust him enough. You had a better thought, a better idea. And so... Out you go into the wilderness until one day God says, all right, here it is. You're either, we're, we're going to flush all that other way. You're either going to do this or not. And so we say, okay, i got enough faith and I'm going to take this part of my life and I'm going to take over things and I'm going to change and I'm going to do things. And you go through and the very first thing you realize is you cannot do this without God. You can think, I'm going to make a great change in my life. I'm going to vow never to eat a one more piece of chocolate again because chocolate's going to kill me, all right? You can vow that, and you can intend on it, and you can make a New Year's resolution every year for the rest of your life, and guess what? Maybe by February, that New Year's resolution every year is going to be failed if you do not invite God into what you do. 
And that is the mistake that we do. We don't trust him. We don't invite him in. We don't have a close relationship with him. And so we fail. We falter. We, we've been taken from slavery. We've done the things of God. We've seen his redemption and we've done all these things. But this is living our everyday life and we can't quite do it well. We can't control the tongue. We can't control our thoughts. We can't control our eyes. We can't control the things we watch on, uh, online. All those things seem to get us and make us falter again and fail again and again and again and again. And eventually, we get beaten down and we say, I just can't take them. Those iron chariots are too much for me. I can't do it. Now, could God do it? Absolutely. But the book of Judges, along with all of this journey, teaches us where are we. And these people have turned and just not quite done all the things that God has asked. They're really powerful in some things in their life, and they're really weak in other things. And you will find, as I have found, in my own personality, I have some things I'm really good at. I like to tell people about those things. I don't like to tell people about the things that I'm weak at, the things I'm not good at, the things I fail at. I don't go around with a big billboard and a big sign saying, here's all the things I mess up with. I don't like to do that. It is human nature as we find those weaknesses in us where we say, I'm just going to bury that for a little while. I can't deal with that. And that's exactly what happens in here is they, they just kind of let it sit. We're not going to take care of that. I, I've got pretty good control of it. I'm going to get taxes off these people. That's what it is. I'm going to, I'm going to get an advantage off of what I'm doing. I can't control my tongue. I've got nasty things to say to people. But you know what? I say good things too. And when God looks at those things you say, He says the whole thing is just garbage. All, right? All that you offer is nothing unless you put God in the center of it. And so we see these people falter and fail. Falter and fail. Falter and fail. And now a new generation comes. Chapter 2, verse number 10. Well, let me just tell you what happens on verse number 1 through 8 in chapter 2. Basically, Joshua says, you got to get back up and you got to go and you got to defeat these people. Okay? And that's one of Joshua's last words. And they do. And they repent. And they realize they have done wrong because they are following. Instead of taking taxes from these people and defeating these people, instead of doing that, they start following what they're doing. It gets into their lives in a sneaky way and they start saying, well, I don't really know. This whole following God thing is really hard. I'm going to go do that one. I like what that one offers. I heard about this other God. He doesn't make you have to have faith in him. You just go over there and do whatever you want. And so these people get weaker and weaker. Now when Joshua said, stand up and change and do this, this was his last big hurrah, the people did until Joshua was dead. 
And then when Joshua was dead, a new generation came along, and they were a mess. They were a terrible, awful mess. And they couldn't do anything. And also the generation, verse number 10 of chapter 2. And also all that generation that were gathered unto their fathers, there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord of the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods and the, of the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord unto anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And you'll learn more about them later. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And there it is. The next generation comes up after generations... They've seen miracles, they've been freed, and they get in there, and they're enslaved in the new country. So was it all for nothing? By their own doing, they're enslaved. Because they're weak, and they do not pay attention to God. They have not paid attention to God. And so what God does is He begins... To reach out to them. They cry out to God after these people come. And the people that they left, the very people that they left and said, we're going to make them pay taxes. Pretty soon they build up an army. And that army comes and takes over the whole country. And comes after them. Steals their food, steals their money, and basically puts them into either hiding or slavery. Time after time after time after time. This happens. And this is the cycle that happens. Here is the cycle. Israel cries to God. Alright? God hears them and God sends a deliverer called a judge. Okay? When the judge comes, they defeat the enemies, and they have peace as long as the judge lives. When the judge dies, the people go back to slavery. They fall back in on their own accord. They then are, those people come in the, with slavery, and the people cry back out to God. And God sends a deliverer again. The book of Judges is filled with this cycle again and again. Generation goes through, generation goes through. They do the same thing again and again. Do not think that you are smarter than the last generation. Do not think you're stronger and better than the last generation. These people were actually weaker. You have to decide what you will do as your generation, whether you will stand up, whether you will be someone that believes in God or not. The people that currently make this happen, this generation of this church, this church right here, there's a generation that started it 30 years ago. And 30 years passed and more, and eventually that generation will pass. And it is up to you to decide whether this church crashes and burns and is gone, 
or whether you say, we will follow God. Those people will go. I will go. You have to decide whether you will continue and seek after God or you will be the weak generation that says, eh, we don't really need to do that. We don't have to fight for this. We don't have to believe. If you fight for a relationship with God, you can continue this and your children will have something. If you do not, you will see this cycle. And you hope that God sends a deliverer in it. But you may live in a whole time where there isn't. And you'll see that cycle. We'll get into the book of Judges a little bit deeper with the first set of Judges next week as we see as the cycle goes on. And God's amazing mercy for these people that keep getting it wrong. All right? Thank you very much. Have a good day.